Welcome to Crosswords. This is a podcast about practical Christianity. Emphasis on practical. How to put Jesus' words into practice. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? As Christians, we live in a culture hostile to righteousness, self-control, and God's judgment. Righteousness because we don't get good messages about what good moral values ought to be. Hostile against self-control because we all make excuses for our behavior as opposed to saying no to sin. And hostile to God's judgment to come because we're usually afraid to talk about death, hell, and judgment, something Jesus spoke of frequently. So in this podcast, we're going to get your mind and your heart in line with Jesus' words and way, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one who can get us out of this world alive. All scriptures quoted will be from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord and be a blessing. The fall season is one of the most beautiful seasons of the year. It contrasts spring in many ways. In spring, we see the beauty of new birth, new fragrances, and new energy. In autumn, we see a different energy and a beauty that marks the beginning of preparation for the most difficult time of our lives, how it will end, if we're blessed enough to live that long. After 50, some say, eh, it's all downhill from here. My dad says, no, 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 not at all. Perhaps after 70, people can say that. Well, each person may have a different experience, but remember, there's also a saying that goes, life begins at 40. I've also heard it said, we spend the first 20 years of our life growing, the next 20 maturing, and the next 20 living. I like this saying. I can say for myself that I really started engaging life with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, perhaps around the age of 40. I am living and enjoying life as a servant of God. I am blessed. At 50, many of my peers and some friends have died because they didn't really take care of themselves. Others suffer from unfulfilled lives or a lot of regret because they don't have Jesus in their lives. Many live in the past, stuck with the idea that life was better when they were younger, and they're not able to cope with the present. All of us who are in Christ are indeed blessed to have a heavenly perspective to guide us through this life, and it only gets better as we draw near to Jesus' return or to our departure. The fall season of our life is one you can thoroughly enjoy in the wisdom and insight God has given you through the years if you build your life on the rock, on Jesus Christ. As we examine the narrative of Jesus' third year, uh, his third year of ministry, when he was around 33, let's see what it looks like to follow him. Only as we abide in his word will we know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Jesus is the bread of life. Understanding the meaning of John 6.35 in light of the narrative of John 6. Let's start in John chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, where it says, When Jesus looked up 
and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus saw what was coming. Crowds were coming, following him, because of all the great signs he was doing among them. And they were hungry. But Jesus had a plan. He had a plan for them and a test for his disciples. He was going to test their faith to see what or in who they would rely on. Jesus was going to reveal to them he is the satisfaction to their deepest hunger. In John 6, starting in verse 7, it says, Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of us to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Philip immediately saw the glass half empty, or should we say completely empty? He focused on what they didn't have. The sheer number of the crowd seemed to defeat any attempt to try. Some situations seem like that to us, no? Too big to try, too hard to cope with, too difficult to attempt. What can I do? I'm, I'm just one person. This is too much for me. Sounds a lot like what came out of Moses' mouth when the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. Many of our burning bush moments are preceded by faithless thoughts or words, feelings of powerlessness or inadequacy. But it's what we do afterward that counts. This is how our faith is challenged to grow, taking the focus off self, off what I don't have or can't do. It really boils down to won't do many times, doesn't it? I mean, David could have thought this way when he saw Goliath. Goliath was certainly too much for him to fight on a skill-by-skill basis. He was taller, bigger, more experienced in war, and certainly stronger. But David saw beyond his deficit. He knew the Lord had saved him from the lion and the bear. We read about that in 1 Samuel 17, 36. And was confident the Lord will save him from this godless enemy. Often we're perplexed and feel defeated coming out of the gate because we compare our deficits on a point-by-point basis, focusing on, on what we're able to see, not on what God can do. Andrew thought more like Gideon. Gideon said, I have something, and I'm going to go to the Lord with what I have. He had 32,000 men in his army. Yeah, he was going against 135,000 of the Midianites, but at least he saw life from a glass-half-full perspective. We call that an optimist. Of course, the Lord was going to teach Gideon a lesson by whittling down his men to 300 uh, and have him fully trust him to develop his faith. And Jesus was going to do the same here with his disciples. Brothers and sisters and friends, as Christians with the Lord on our side, we need to be optimistic. Pessimism is the opposite of faith. See, Andrew was willing to try. He still doubted a bit, 
he asked, how far will it go? But at least he comes to Jesus with what he has. And that's the whole point. Jesus had left towns like Nazareth, not even performing miracles in them because the people were so hard and they lacked faith. They didn't even give Jesus anything. You may think what you have is little, but trust Jesus. He multiplies what you have. All you need, as he says in Luke 17, 6, is faith as small as a mustard seed. And they are small. In John 6, verse 10, we read, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So Jesus tells us, sit down, relax. I've got your back. Whatever little you have to offer, he's going to take and do great things for you and others. Around 5,000 men were there, probably more since the word men just refers to the males in the Greek. How could five loaves and two small fish be enough for this crowd? I would have loved to see the expression on their faces as they saw pieces of bread continue to come out of Jesus' hands along with the fish, even though they didn't really get what was going on till much later. They had to have expressions of surprise or confusion on their faces, especially those sitting right next to Jesus. Remember that John calls Jesus' miracles signs as opposed to miracles. He's emphasizing the significance of the action rather than the marvel. And this was the fourth sign John records in his gospel account. We read in John chapter 6, starting in verse 12, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I like how Jesus doesn't want any food wasted. We're such a wasteful society. I generate so much paper waste in my office from my health insurance company in particular that it is shameful. In this day and age, when digital documents are so widely used, companies need to start providing an alternative to mailing paper that ends up in the trash. And what about food? So much waste there. Yet we see God's design in nature abhors waste. Everything gets used up, recycled perfectly in God's natural design. Even our bodies are designed to be the most efficient they can be, way more than any machine we've invented or designed. What we tend to make and design tends to produce a lot of waste, and a lot of it is unable to be recaptured or recycled. So what's the significance of this sign anyway, the multiplying of the bread and the fish. Well, further down in the chapter, starting in verse 22, the crowd is looking for Jesus, but not because of this sign, but because they just wanted to have their fill again. They didn't understand the sign. They just thought the sign was meant for them to feed them. They didn't understand the emphasis, the significance of what the sign really means. So Jesus rebukes them for working for themselves as opposed to working for the food that endures. And that's what we read here in John 6, 27. He says, don't work for the food that spoils, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus tells them two things here. First of all, he tells them that they were working for themselves, to benefit themselves, and and for something that spoils. I mean, these are things that may fill you for a time, but they cannot help you endure unto eternity, not even to endure in this life. We're big on filling up with things that spoil, aren't we? Food, entertainment, sports, our jobs, academia, careers, cars, homes, just things. And don't get me wrong, they serve a purpose. But if you're not careful, you will work for them driving yourself to an early grave. Or if you're challenged with losing these things, will you give up your faith for them? When we work for food that spoils, we often become the biggest waste producers in our society. Think about that. The U.S. has the reputation to be the biggest waste producer in the world. And when we work for food that spoils, we become the biggest grumblers and complainers, which Jesus noted about them in John 6, 43, because we will never be satisfied with the returns of food that spoils. Sometimes we're busy with this work, but it doesn't even serve a purpose in our life. Just because we're doing stuff doesn't mean that stuff is getting done, real stuff. That it's like a we're like a hamster spinning on a wheel. Yeah, he's busy and he might he might get tired and exhausted, but at the end of this of his run he got nowhere. These people kept asking Jesus for a sign in John chapter 6 verse 30 even though they had witnessed one and already fill, were filled up with it. But see, this illustrates something else that happens. When we work for food that spoils, we become desensitized to God's signs in our life. We miss out on what God could be doing on blessings, particularly the blessing of eternal life. So Jesus tells them, you need to work for food that endures to eternal life. This is his second point. We need to give our whole hearts to God, not to worldly pursuits. Sometimes you may be devoting more energy to worldly pursuits than to holy and divine pursuits. Compare the amount of time you devote to Bible study or evangelism or your own family uh, or the amount of time you spend helping your community. Compare all that to the amount of time you spend in school, maybe, or playing games or being entertained. Or, or watching or participating in sports? Is there a big discrepancy? Well, maybe that's why you're angry. Maybe that's why you get so easily angered. Maybe that's why you're grumbling. Maybe that's why you're discouraged. Jesus is the bread from heaven. He is to be our total satisfaction. That's what his sign was pointing to. He's the one we need to seek in all we do. And then we will be so full of him that we will spill over to give others our time, our attention, and our love. Just, just as the woman of the well wanted to know where to find the living water Jesus was telling her about, once Jesus spoke of the bread of life, they wanted to know where they could find it too in John 6, 43. But as the woman had no idea what Jesus meant, neither did these people. And that's why many turn away from Jesus. That's why many people 
don't want to study the Bible or go to church. They turn away from spiritual things because they're desensitized by sin and in a state of stupor, sleep at the wheel. And that's what worldly pursuits do to you. They put your spiritual needs to sleep and you think you're just a carnal person and you give yourself to your carnal and sensual desires. And But once you, you're dying to self, once you're Uh, take Jesus in and he's the one living in you, then all the things you can do with your body not only makes sense because you put them all in a spiritual context, but the Holy Spirit will energize you to work and speak for Jesus. Your overabundance of blessing will spill over to all those you meet and serve. If you like this podcast, please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. You will find the link listed in the description of the podcast on your favorite podcast app. With your support, I will continue to produce authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me to do. The work of God is to believe. Jesus said in John 6, 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. If you try to use your body to work for God with the same mindset as you do for the world, you are going to grow tired, you're going to grow discouraged, and you may experience burnout. This is why Jesus told them that the work of God is believing in the one he has sent. By believing, work, the kind of work God approves of, will occur. Let me explain. Number one, we're not working to gain something here, not even to gain something in heaven. We work because we've been given new life already. We work because we believe God is at work with us. We work because we believe God has qualified us and made us competent. We have to trust him. We believe him. That is the main work here. Number two, we're not working to get results that people expect in the world. You see, the world measures success in numbers, particularly financial numbers. If you have a lot of people following you, that's a good work. If you have a lot of buyers, or if you have a lot of capital, those are great results. And so often the church gets drawn into that mentality as well. We think we're doing well because we got many members, or we have money in the bank, or we have great preachers. And yes, we want to see people get baptized. Don't get me wrong. We want to see people live for Jesus. But that's not the work of God. The work of God in each of us is to believe Him. And therefore, by believing in Him, believing that we've been made able to do the work of God, that we're not depending on our own results or on our own ideas, but that God is the one working in us to see the kinds of results he approves us. Preaching the gospel, for example, being the light wherever you go, in the streets, at home, in the job, at school, being the salt in your neighborhoods and in your community, salting everyone with your acts of kindness 
and encouraging words full of grace. See, God is doing his work in the hearts and minds of people as you do these things. We don't want to be absorbed in the work that spoils because that's Satan's way of distracting you from being effective in God's work. And if you think you have nothing to offer, you're wrong. In Christ, you have been made able to do all the work God has given you to do. You may think you're not strong, but that may be because you're comparing yourself to the world. No, it's our weaknesses that make us great when compared to the world. And more on that later in another series I'm planning. But we don't want to use the measuring stick of the world to determine whether or not we're doing good work or not, whether or not we're able to or not. We need to trust God that our results will be in keeping with his expectations, not our own. Thirdly, we're working because we believe God is the one at work in our lives and in the lives of others. We're believing he's put us on a path where we're going to make a difference in people's lives just by existing, just by interacting with them. Because we have living water, because we believe, because we'll consume the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son, has given us life so we can be acceptable to God and useful to God. The Holy Spirit of God indwells within us, makes us capable co-workers as he convicts the world of sin through the word that we preach. So it's the Father working in us. As Paul says in Philippians 2.13, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The work of God is to believe these things. The rest that follows is God's work in you. Jesus also said in John 6.35 that he is the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We can do the work of God, believing in him whom he has sent, because Jesus is our sustenance. We already established that trying to be sustained by food that spoils will be the death of us, physically and spiritually. But Jesus enables us to be sustained forever. Coming to Jesus will satisfy you thoroughly. You won't ever try to be satisfied by anything from this world once you taste the bread of life. Believing in Jesus will satisfy your innermost thirst. You will have the sobriety and the strength to say no to the flesh when you are full of Jesus. Those who come to him do the will of the Father because they believe the Father and the Son, as Jesus said in John 6, 38 and verse 45. Those who come to him will be raised on the last day, as Jesus says in John 6, 39 and 44. And those who come to him will have eternal life, as Jesus says in John 6, 47. Coming to Jesus means feeding on Jesus. Jesus says in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. What are you feeding on? Are you so busy working for the things of this world, keeping up with the Joneses, trying to climb the corporate ladder, stuffing your bank account, or whatever else you think you need to work for 
Is that what you're feeding on? Jesus says, that is food that spoils. You're going to drive yourself to an early grave. You're going to become discouraged. You're going to experience burnout. And worst of all, you're going to still be hungry. You're not going to be satisfied. You're going to be like that hamster running on the wheel all day long, not getting anywhere. Are you still hungry? Are you still thirsty? You need to come to Jesus. Come to him and lay down your burdens. Take his yoke upon you, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And turn your energies to do the work of God, which is to believe. It's so counterintuitive, right? Because we think that believing is not work. We think work is measured by sweat, by energy, by calories we burn. But the real work begins when we believe, believing the words of God, believing why Jesus has come and feeding on him. And that's when God's work begins in you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.